Hello and welcome back to Darling Why. Happy Pride. This week we are talking about the I'm a Cheerleader, although I strongly encourage you to watch it no matter what time of year it is. If you like our show, please do give us a follow, a subscribe or even a review if that's what you're feeling. And with that, let's get to it. Are you ready to talk about the I'm a Cheerleader? But I'm a podcaster. <laughs> oh! Oh, wearing, yeah. Wearing pink for the occasion to show my, you know, feminine role, yeah. as the movie will teach us. But yeah, we're going to talk about I'm a Cheerleader today. I saw this movie, I think, about 10 years ago. Okay. And I've been referencing it strongly ever since and probably have seen it about once a year ever since. So yeah. it was amusing to me to both relive it and also watch you live it for the first time. What did you think I was going to react like? Did you have? I any... didn't know. I, I didn't know, but did I, you... I, I assumed you wouldn't have come across it in the wild necessarily. I might have heard the name because I know a lot of people who really enjoy the works of RuPaul, and I think I might have heard people say, "Oh, he's in this movie called But I'm a Cheerleader." Oh, that's interesting. He plays a straight or like a protect. Yeah, he plays like a former. He plays an ex-gay. I think I've heard that once or twice, but I just never followed up on it. RuPaul is in this movie, playing an ex-gay. I never think about this movie because I don't watch Drag Race. You never and stuff. think of it as a RuPaul. No, of course experience. not, because he's not a main character in it. I'm deeply, uh, you know, one of my favorite actresses is Natasha Lyonne, so I always think about it as a as a Natasha Lyonne vehicle. Yeah. And as I've aged, uh, I've become a big Cleo Duval stan. You basically just have to say one of these two is in a thing or associated with a thing and I'm like well I'm watching that take my money before I get into why I love this movie I just wanted to paint paint a picture because again I saw this movie about 10 years ago so probably like 2011 2012 well that is correct but it came out in 2000 when I was 8 so I wasn't there in the no I don't think you would have been (laughs) which is really really into um queer cinema at the age of eight mm. i'm really into the works of jamie babbitt yes so you as an eight-year-old but just to kind of contextualize it this movie was 205 in terms of movie gross that year so not breaking the top but for context the top three movies that year were how the grinch stole christmas Mission Impossible 2, which I also saw this year for the first time. It's one of the greatest movies ever made. What are you talking about? And Gladiator, which I have still yet to have seen. I mean, Gladiator is only slightly better than Mission Impossible 2, actually. But they're the top three grossing movies. So that's the landscape of the year 2000. The other thing I wanted to, I suppose, mention up top, so that while we're talking about it, it's kind of in mind, is thinking about, like, what are the top grossing LGBT movies of all time because this is somewhere it's it's in the top hundreds but like in the back end of that and so I looked up the the top 10 so like the top three are Bohemian Rhapsody, The Imitation Game and Philadelphia. Right so the criteria seems to be films that feature characters who are LGBT yeah not necessarily made by or written by LGBT writers. This was exactly the point I was coming to. So I pulled this list up Gay Times, which I feel like is a reasonable source. I looked up all the writers and directors. I didn't get deep into producers and stuff because I felt like that was going too in the weeds. But of all the writers and directors of the top 10 movies, 
Two are confirmed LGBT and one is rumoured. And the top eight focus on the stories of men. Mm. Nine and ten, which are, I suppose, like stories about women, are The Hours and The Favourite. Right. But everything else, like the main character in it, it's, it's about the kind of, I suppose, like the, the male experience. Is The Matrix counted in this no. list? No, no. <laughs> Because surely that would be high up if it was. It, it, it is not on the list I am pulling from right. on Gay Times. Okay, so, yeah, so I'm understanding that this list is, it's not films, it doesn't include films that happen to be made by people who are LGBT. No. Or don't include LGBT content. No. So obviously if it did, The Matrix would be up there, Splash probably being at the very top. Sure. I suppose this is this is the logic Gay Times says, which is here we present the ten highest grossing films in history that have clear LGBTQ narratives or characters. We've excluded films such as Injury the Vampire or Talented Mr. Ripley, which are like homo erotic. Yeah, 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 yeah. But understandable. Yeah. But like the Matrix the the narrative of the Matrix is not like a is not of queer film, it just has If you be- if you listen to the Wachowskis it kind of is. That's fair. Yeah, they sort of almost explicitly said that it's you can very much read it as a trans allegory oh interesting oh yeah when we do the matrix because we're inevitably <laughs> we'll get into it inevitably <laughs> we'll do the matrix i fucking love the matrix. we're inevitably going to do it we'll we will get, get into, into it, then. it then but yeah i just thought that was interesting when we're going into i suppose considering a movie that is like very clearly a lesbian movie yes made by a lesbian with I a, was going to ask with about a, Jamie Babbitt. She she's gay. Yeah. The writer is a, is a gay guy, like the screenplay yeah. writer, and there's just a lot of LGBT folks. Yeah. Involved in the making of it. Yeah. So it's very. Yeah, I don't. All th- around encompassing. I don't think you get RuPaul in a film in that prominent a role at this time if it was the film made by just straight people. I just thought that was interesting when we, again, consider this film, and we'll come back to it at the end when we talk mm-hmm. about like how it was taken at the time, mm-hmm. too. But first of all, this movie is just iconic. And I've written the word iconic in my notes right. in all caps. Right? So it's not iconic, it's just iconic. It's iconic. Okay. First of all... Subtle difference. What an iconic cast. You have RuPaul, you have Kathy Moriarty, you have Melanie Linsky, you have Michelle Williams popping up there at the start. Yeah. Um, and like I say, you have Clea Duval, who has been in everything. You would have seen her in Veep is what we watched together that I think you would know her from. But she's been in loads of shit. But um, as well as being in, like, like I say, loads of things, she also wrote and directed Shout Out to The Intervention and Happiest Season. Yeah. Two great films that I've really enjoyed in the last couple of years. We watched Happier Season Yes, we did. At we Christmas. Yeah, we literally watched it on Christmas Day. Yeah, that was our quarantine Christmas. Yeah. Watching um, The Other Case do, enjoying her her gay Christmas romance. It's great. Also got to see Victor Garber play a, a dad. I love Victor Garber. He's great. And she is very excitedly executive producing the TV adaptation of Tegan and Sarah's memoir, High School. <laughs> so exciting. I also love Tegan and Sarah. They'll come up again. Anyway, yeah, everything Cleo DeBell has done, especially recently, is great. And then, obviously, Natasha Leon, who, um, you know, people know from American Pie and Orange is the New Black. She was also in The Intervention mm-hmm. as Cleo DeBell's girlfriend again. <laughs> and she also co-wrote, produced, directed, starred in Russian Doll, which was a really great series on Netflix. I think is coming back for a second season. A lovely take on kind of the Groundhog Day yeah. thing. You know what I mean? We stand Natasha Leon too. Very <laughs> funny lady. 
And, uh, and you also get what is maybe the most long-running joke and reference of my life, which is any time that it feels appropriate, just adding the phrase, that's my route, <laughs> to the end of something. I think you might need to explain that. So in the movie, step two of the programme, which is going to make them all straight again, is uh, determining what your route is. Yeah. So, for example, Clea Duval's character route, her mother got married in pants. <laughs> <laughs> the character of Sinead was born in France. Mm. So... As Europeans. So, yeah, so like we all have our roots, you know. <laughs> Natasha Leon's character, we figure out, oh, her dad lost his job for nine months and mom had to bring in the money. Yeah. And therefore that taught her character a very poor lesson about the roles of men and women. Yeah. Those nine months. <laughs> oh, so, you know, anytime you see anything, like, yeah. that's my route. Yeah. Should we explain the basic premise of this film? Yes, that would make sense. Yes. So Natasha Leon plays its main character, Megan, who is a very all-American girly girl cheerleader. And she gets sent to essentially like conversion camp yes. to get rid of that darn homosexuality. Mm. But how can she be homosexual? But I'm a cheerleader. And yeah, it's just about their their journey there. Um, there's a, a gang of, I think, uh, eight or ten of them to start. Yeah. And just what happens to them along the way. Yeah. She meets Cleo Duval there and they fall in love. Mm. Hooray. And yeah. I will talk about their romance more in a little bit. It's a comedy. Just looking at essentially how inherently ridiculous the concept of, of being able to teach someone how to be a hetero yeah. <laughs> is. <laughs> the boxes that they are essentially being kind of forced into at the camp. Yeah, it's a very funny and joyous film. I do want to talk about like the aesthetic of the whole thing. Yes, it's very. Um, how do I put this? I don't want to say it's very bright because it is know, very bright. I mean, that's to me that almost sounds like I'm just saying yes. They've learned how to use the lights and a camera. Me just saying that just seems very reductionist. Tell me what you think. Yeah, how you see it. Sure. So I I really think that this is. This is such a camp movie in terms of the aesthetic of it all. Very much so. It's so campy. And especially when they're in the True Directions, which yeah. is the, the conversion camp. It's all very like bright pinks and yes. bright blues. And Jamie Babbitt over the years has described it as kind of like gay clueless meets a Barbie dream house meets Edward Scissorhands. Yeah. I and that, that really sums it up. You know yeah. what I mean? It's it's that kind of, if you, if you think of Edward Scissorhands, that kind of colour... but make it really big pinks and really big blues and very much that pink is for girls and blue is for boys kind of (laughs) narrative and when they're away from the camp it is it's still very bright but it's not those kind of gender stereotypes in terms of colors there's a bit more of like a natural color to it all but it's just so artificial yeah which I think is the purpose. And like I say, True Directions is the most artificial of all the places in the film. Yeah. As well as being like very garish. Mm. It's all very plastic yes. as well. It looks very 1950s. Yes, because, you know, that's peak. Yeah. That's, that's the good old days, Louis. Yeah. When, uh, when the world is right. <laughs> and natural. And yeah, I mean, even like... The characters of Mike and Mary, who's RuPaul and Kathy Moriarty, who are kind of the, yeah. the leaders of the camp, they're they're artificial in, yeah. in and of themselves and everything. Even the flowers are plastic. Yeah. When they're dressed up in their kind of, you know, they get given their like pink outfits or whatever, yeah. they're made of plastic. Everything yeah. is very 
very kind of sterile almost yes. it's very unnatural what's interesting is like those you know the, the the straight characters they're the ones who are if you step back like the gay teens are just still quite just teenagers yeah. in it they're, like they're normal teenagers really and like these adults are just weird yeah. <laughs> like they're they're just their their priorities are weird they look re- really artificial and it's yeah. just very off which is an interesting way to satirize what the whole point of of it is yeah. you know there there is a point in the film where they sneak out at like midnight yeah. all the teens and go to a gay bar yeah. and you don't have any of that color scheme yeah. then you have they just look normal they're just in a bar yes. you know and that that contrast is a really interesting mm. like visual technique i suppose yeah when the characters of Graham and Megan, Cleo Duvall and Natasha Leon are together. Again, you don't have that garish sort yeah. of bright pink, bright blue. You have kind of much kind of subtler lighting. Yeah. And th- again, they kind of look a bit, everything's a bit more human. Yeah. It doesn't look like some sort of bizarre nightmare that you'd have about being sent to a place like that. I, I get mm. the feel. I might be wrong, but I get the feeling that I don't know if you know this. If you don't know this, fair enough. Was this based on an actual experience that he had? It's uh, it's more based on because Jamie Babbitt came up with the story. He just right. wrote out the screenplay. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. So um, in that case, I the question. Her mother ran a drug and alcohol camp for teens, or right, like okay. a rehab for them. So the idea of it kind of came from that. Yeah. And she grew up around that. So not not like gay rehab, yeah. but but she grew up around kind of a, a rehab for wayward teens. Yeah. So there's similarities there, yeah. and that's what sparked the idea yeah. for her. So yeah. yeah, it is kind of based in some sense of yeah. reality, and yeah. then obviously being in the community that she's in, bringing that element yeah. of it all to the fore too. Adding to that, like part of the premise of True Directions, like the gay rehab, is that essentially there is one way to be a man and yeah, one, one way, way to be a woman. A woman. Yeah. And what's interesting about, like, what I really liked about this, and it's, what I'm about to say is, like, do consider the fact that this is from 2000 and not 2021, because obviously there's much more nuance we all could get into about this. But, like, it is it is showing LGBTQ folk as more than one thing. Yeah. In the same way that it isn't like, well, this is what it is to be a lesbian, and this yeah. is what it is to be a gay man, and there's only one way of each to do that. Yeah. Like, one of the characters, one of the ex-ex-gays, yeah. who you know, save some of them, brings them out. Yeah. It says to Megan, there isn't just one way to be a lesbian. Yeah. I suppose in 2000, I obviously didn't see this movie in 2000, but there isn't like a lot of, like for me, and again, I know I was a kid, but even kind of into the first half of that decade, like I think the only kind of um, mainstream gay characters I saw were like Will and Grace. <laughs> yeah. Honestly. And I, I saw a little bit of like the original Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. Yeah. And that's it. Mm. That is it. Like, I remember it being a huge deal on, like, Coronation Street and stuff. The first time two men kiss. (laughs) And I was, like, a teen, you know? (laughs) And so to have even, like, that level of something in in 2000, to me, is really significant looking back. In Ireland, did you get certain... Like, for example, we over here in Merry Old Blighty, we had uh, Dale Winton presenting Supermarket Sweep every morning. Yes. We had, you know, um, we had comedians like Julian Clary making appearances on primetime television, Lily Savage. Sure. Like, we had, we did have prominent homosexual performers. 
yes. in our, quote, mainstream entertainment. Like, and I, I knew who all of those people were yeah. when I was at that age That's just a well. really small list. But like, what I'm saying is, yeah. did you have any of this slash Irish equivalents? Um, not that I can think of. Not at that time. Like as I as I was older, yeah. yes, I can think of. Like there are there are a lot more like prominent LGBTQ performers now. And even when I was like nineteen and whatever, there was a lot more. I was kind of like I was aware of, com- like I knew like one of my favorite comedians when I was like twelve was Eddie Izzard, you yeah. know. But I suppose there I, there is still something slightly different about like comedians and performers yeah. in that they're not necessarily showing a narrative. Like right. a, a real life kind of, and I know this is a satire and it's very yeah. over the top, but like compared to say like a sitcom, yeah. which is showing interactions and like ways of being in the world, yeah. that is different to comedy. And I suppose maybe though it, it didn't maybe click the same way. Because like I knew there was other stuff on, like Queer as Folk was on yeah. at the same time, the L word, but I just wasn't seeing it. Yeah. You would have been waiting on for Queer as Folk. I yeah. was waiting on for Queer as Folk. <laughs> I knew it was on because I, yeah. I remember seeing the adverts. Because I would be waiting for other stuff on Channel 4. Yeah. I, I mean, I remember seeing adverts for Eurotrash, which I was too young for. But uh, yeah. I remember seeing those adverts. Ooh. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> whereas, like, you can watch Will and Grace at, yeah. like, 13 and it's yeah. fine. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's, whereas, yeah, maybe, maybe like, there's a reason why, at, like, yeah, age 10, we weren't watching Queer Spoke yeah. in the L Word. But, yeah, I still think, like, that's... There's still in the kind of the more sitcom film world that I was aware of around that time, it was more of a limited scope compared to obviously like, you know, I'm nearly 30 now and I've just met people in real life. It's not just in film, you know, and I'm like, ah, there's this giant spectrum of the way that humans are. And it's, uh, there's lots of ways to be a thing, but even it only really occurred to me this time round of watching it that, oh yeah, if I had seen this film when I was maybe like 13 or 14, a notion like that probably would have gone a long way to like settling my brain. Okay. Because I think at the time I was like, A, there's only gay and straight and there's only one way to be either of those yeah. things. And I was like, well, I'm not either of those yeah. things and that's really fucking me up. Yeah. And, and there wasn't really anything there that was saying like, oh, there is like, other things yeah. besides just those two boxes that yeah. you've been presented with. Do you know what I mean? Like even other things about this film, like there's this character of Jan who is very like mask presenting and has a mohawk yes. and and like two thirds of the way through the movie she's like, I'm straight. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just because she looks very yes. like what people would think a lesbian looks like. Yeah. And she's like, no, I really am straight yeah. and yeah. no one believes her. And yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if people are still hearing that kind of thing. Yeah, they, unfortunately, they are. Yeah, I like. I suppose I'm away from, especially in the last year. Like, I don't know. You don't spout that kind of trash, so I, you know, I assume <laughs> you're the only person I see. <laughs> Obviously, I was much more aware of that growing up. But I, there's a part of me that sometimes is like, that was the '90s, that was the 2000s. Maybe things are different now. Yeah. But I don't know. They are to a point. They are to a point, but they're not. You know, a glorious sort of um, haven. There's still a lot of trash yeah. out there. And also, like, key, again, which if we think more again in the context of the early 2000s, the lead character, who is a lesbian, is like an all-American, very femme cheerleader. Yeah, that would have been very transgressive for the time. Yes. Because to a lot of people, lesbians were, uh, well, in America, it would have just been Katie Lang. Yeah. <laughs> like, all lesbians look like Katie Lang. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's like, it, again, it's just even within the context of the movie, they're yeah. presenting all these different kind of ways. Yeah, like Graham has a you know, different hairstyle, yeah. looks different, walks in a different way. Like It, it is, as you say, it's, it's presenting in a different style. It is not just, you know, here are, here are all of the butches, no femmes, all butch. Yeah. And also just that, like, queer folk can can yes. can be as different yes, from each other as as, as straight folk. <laughs> yeah. And like Jamie Babbitt said about it in uh, an interview with Drew Gregory at Autostraddle, she said one of the things that inspired me to make the movie is I was a very female presenting lesbian and when I came out to my parents they were like cool we don't care but it's just really bizarre because we've never met a lesbian like you. Are you sure you're a lesbian? <laughs> your whole life you've been terrible at sports and you never wanted to do anything except play with your Barbies. We're just yeah. confused. <laughs> <laughs> And I've heard that loads. Yeah. <laughs> I think we all have, you know, mm. if we haven't thought it, but like that's so typical, even like later. She was growing up in the 90s, 80s, yeah. 90s, but like even later, um, I still think that was so prevalent. Yeah. And yeah, I just, um, I, 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 again, if, if we consider things in the context of 2000, I do think that's really, again, like you say, kind of like a, a, a transgressive thing and a, a slightly different take. Yeah. And in the year, 2000 people fucking hated it <laughs> and by people i do mean critics yeah i do mean critics i, I don't mean i don't mean the, the lgbt community did not hate it but yeah. the critics did oh well, yeah i mean if you're watching this from a perspective of you know you haven't seen much gay cinema you aren't lgbt yourself mm. i could totally see those people just going i what i hate this i get it I just, whether I agree with it or not is yeah. but if you are not exposed to this sort of thing in pretty much any way you are gonna you're just gonna be like this doesn't conform to what I expect cinema to be yeah therefore I think it is bad yeah instead of going oh it's just not for me I can see the audience that it is for no you're gonna dunk on it and act like it's some sort of fucking transgression or horrible crime yeah. against cinema and like, it's, it's interesting like the backlash is very interesting like i got caught down a rabbit hole of the backlash so for context on rotten tomatoes the critics score is 41 percent mm-hmm. and the audience score is 74 percent yes so it's a big discrepancy yeah and like jamie babbitt has talked about this a lot over the years as well and so there's kind of the school of like you know old straight guys which is kind of what you, yeah. you were talking about there. And there's also like, she, she kind of alludes to like, there's parts of like the older LGBT community who are kind of like not ready for these kind of topics to be joked about, I suppose. Right. Which is not, which I understand. I mean, it's not my stance, but I do understand why you, you could take that stance about yeah. like being very jokey yeah. and silly about something like conversion, which is horrific. Yes, it is. Absolutely horrific. Like she, she says herself, like, I wanted to skewer not only my own community, but just like the absurdity of gay conversion. So mm. Jamie Babbitt in, a, in an interview with Rebecca Rubin said that for Variety. I read all the reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> all of them? Yes. <laughs> wow. And I don't know why I started. And then I was like, oh, I gotta, I gotta know more. And like, there's, again, I don't really care about the, you know, the people who just don't kind of get. And also one of the things, one of the other sides was basically, they all kind of meant to say, oh, this is thin. This is like a watered down John Waters. It's not as edgy as John Waters. Um, oh, please, I want my John Waters back. That oh. comes up so often. It's like... Is John Waters the only person allowed to make cinema that is gay? 
like ever. Yeah. He's the most obvious comparison. Yeah, and it's just because, a, but it is different. Like yeah. her tone is very different. Well, Jamie yeah, Rabbit's. because Jamie Rabbit isn't John Waters. Yeah, but she's not going for that no, um, edgy thing either. I think why would she exactly? What's the point? Um, and like whatever, I disagree with that. That wasn't really what kind of. Um, but John Waters would be more prominent, like a decade or so before. Yeah. Unless there's like loads of unheralded John Waters films that are really, really popular that I don't know about. I'm sure all of John Waters' most well-known things happened in the 80s. I think so, yeah. So to me, this is just another example of cultural ignorance. Mm. Because if your only reference point for LGBT cinema is John Waters from in a film released like eight, nine years after John Waters was super, super relevant, that's either a damning indictment of the conservatism of Hollywood at the time, or it's a damning, it's just a damning indictment of the critics and just complete ignorance. So I haven't, I don't think I've seen much John Waters, so I actually can't really comment on it, but I think it's kind of more like the visual aspects and that it's very like, you know, outlandish and garish and that yeah. kind of thing. Not just that it's queer, but also that it's it's that kind of visually. Yeah. But yeah, it's just not as like it isn't as spiky and kind of edgy. But that I don't think that's what she wants. No, not at all. But what bothered me more? So there's this other niche of reviews that annoyed me more. <laughs> I'm aware that these happened twenty years ago, but I see this I see this argument in other places too. Yeah. And it'll lead on to my next point. But there's this set of reviews that were like, I wish there was a more serious look at. at Okay, convert. I wish this movie took it more seriously. Or this movie isn't going to convince the homophobes. <gasps> the very people it's trying to change will not take this seriously. And I was like, fuck off. In what universe? <laughs> it's not for them. It's it, not for them. <laughs> but like, in what universe would a fictional comedy, a fictional movie about something so make someone go, do you know what? I now don't believe in this ridiculous, in this thing that I believe. I just don't believe in it now. Yeah. If anything, they'll just double down. Yeah. Like the- but that, I, that annoyed me because I was like, first of all, that assumes that that's her intention. Yes. And it, I don't think it, it it's was. It's not, because if, not it was, at all. if it was, that would have been a much bigger story. Yeah. You could you could run with that in news for ages. You wouldn't be able to move for articles in gay magazines at the time. Yeah. If that was the, the actual intention. that would You think they would have got, it would have got 10 times the coverage. The explicit intention was... This film is going to show how evil conversion therapy is. That would have been the cover story of all gay media. It would have been a massive thing. You know, it's a, it's a film coming out in cinemas. It's going to kill conversion therapy. And like there is... And it's so obviously I, I think not... this is a broader argument about storytelling as well. Is that like, should stories about communities that have, broadly speaking, have like a certain type of horrible thing happened to them they're in some way minoritized or uh, disempowered or discriminated against should all the stories about them be horrible no they shouldn't should they you know what I mean but I think that there is a school of thought that kind of like show us your trauma Uh, why don't you just show us your trauma I see two very diametrically opposed opinions on that and it's either the show us like all trauma all the time Mm -hmm. people and then the other side of the coin, which is how on earth do we normalise ourselves? How do we normalise this if all we're doing is implying that merely being LGBT is this inherently awful thing and your entire life is just suffering? Yeah. Your entire life will just be suffering. I think... And that's the only narrative we can have. Oh. Both, And I think both those arguments are reductive. Yes, they are. They're... 
ridiculous. Because, again, because we're talking about kind of LGBTQ stuff, I'll stick with that. But, like, mm-hmm. the straight people get to have all types of stories. Yes. So it follows. Well, yeah, it follows. That, uh... <laughs> that uh, we should also get to have all types yeah. of stories. And which brings me on to my final point about why I have really loved this movie since the first time I saw it, which is I hadn't seen a whole ton of, like, uh, like I said, queer media before. I'd seen a little bit, but not, not a huge amount. Yeah. I'd seen Rent, and, like, I'd seen kind of, like... <laughs> Do you know that kind of more Broadway side of things? Yeah. And I had seen 50 million documentaries about the life of Freddie Mercury. And so I, I, I wasn't, you know, it wasn't 2000 and I was going in completely blind. But I hadn't seen, like, movies yeah. of, of this ilk. And, like, this was maybe one of the first times I really saw, like, queer joy. Yeah. I really think that this film is very, overall, very joyful. Yeah. To go back to that interview with Rebecca Rubin... Um, for Variety with Jamie Babbitt. She said, I want to tell a romantic story and be revolutionary where the lesbians actually end up in love and alive at the end of the movie, which had not really been told at the time. Everyone always like died or were killed. And it's like so bad that it's a trope. Yeah. Lesbians always die. Is it, I believe isn't called like uh, fridging the lesbian or something? Yeah. Or kill your gays. Yeah. yeah. Both of them. Both yeah. of them. But yeah. And, and so like the two leads end up happy. Yes. At the end of this film. Yeah. They end up in love and together and happy. Yeah. Shocking. Like even now, you still don't see it all that often. No. Even now. If, and it's 20 years later. If this film was made now, I would genuinely be tossing a coin 50-50 whether one of them dies of something. Whether it's... Not if Jamie Babbitt was around. <laughs> she yeah. wouldn't let that happen. <laughs> but like, you know, and it wouldn't, you know, be something, you know, one would get hit by a car in the final scene or something. Yeah, no. It's... I'd still be tossing a coin going, oh God, which one's sure. which no, one's going to die? You know, you kind of have to go with the expectation and it's a lovely surprise. Which is why I loved The Intervention, which is why I loved Happiest Season. They're, they're just nice romances. You know, God, could or, you imagine a happier season and someone, the one, uh, Kristen Stewart died in happy? Jesus. Clea Duval wouldn't allow that. <laughs> I know, but like another writer might have killed yeah. either her or Mackenzie Davis off for just utter, utter shameless bollocks. Yeah. And like, it's, again, it, there is something, again, so lovely to see in the movie that, like, oh, these two women can end up happy. Yeah. It's really nice. And their their romance is really sweet. Yeah. And, like, I famously don't care for romantic storylines. I for, forever deride the romantic subplot of almost anything. I don't like rom-coms. But I love the romance in But I'm a Cheerleader. It's so sweet and genuinely intimate and even the cheesy not- bits aren't aren't like ugh they're they're I like the cheesiness of it as well. Yeah. Um and the fact it's that it's a nice strong cheddar instead of a overwhelming camon bear. Yes. I think part of why I don't like romances broadly speaking is because I find them like a bit kind of repetitive and schlocky and it's kind of the same. Yeah. But because I've seen this play out so few times on cinema Maybe that's why I'm like, oh, this is so sweet and I love yeah. it. And it was dying, hooray. Yeah. <laughs> there is a, a, a kind of, I suppose it's a quote in the sense that I'm going to just read the first paragraph of an article. I read a lot of Autostraddle and I have since I was a teenager, just for some top-notch queer media. And uh, they have an ongoing list that they update um, that Drew Gregory curated called the top 200 best lesbian movies of all time ranked. And this <laughs> is number one. <laughs> and... I just want to read a bit of what Drew Gregory wrote about why 
it's number one. It says, Jamie Babbitt's campy lesbian classic received bad reviews upon its initial release. The largely straight male critics just didn't understand why somebody would make a comedy about a subject matter this serious. But this film isn't for them. It's for us, and we already know all about queer trauma. What we need is queer joy. This is a queer movie made by queer people about queer experiences through a queer lens for queer audiences. It's the best lesbian movie of all time. <laughs> and the reason I just read that it's is because that sums it up. List. I, I did go through all 200 and I cannot remember where whereabouts it lay because I, I mean was, it's only just really come out so it might not have even this, been updated I, this it, might yeah. be yeah this might be a little bit older than that yeah um and i've seen because i imagine that would probably get quite high see it's a really interesting list actually because it's it, it takes into account like world cinema and yeah. goes all the way back to just back to the there's stuff from the from the 30s in yeah. there you know and i've seen only a fraction of these films so i really do need to go back and and uh really zone in yeah. on some and really open up, open my mind <laughs> to this over. But I, I just really think that that sums up how I experience and also do experience this film. Like I saw it at like uh, a movie night on what might have been Rainbow Week in my okay. first year of university. And it was just like a revelation because I had, I literally had never seen anything like this before. Yeah. And that joy has stuck with me. You know what I mean? That, that, that joy of experience of watching this movie has stuck with me. And I think it's, it's a really perfect movie to watch with other people. Yeah. I, I've watched it alone and I've watched it in groups and I do think it's a better experience around people. And I can't really <laughs> pinpoint why it's like a really great movie night film. And yeah. it's a really great thing to experience together. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, I just really, really deeply adore it. And if you are going to like watch a movie this June for Pride, highly recommend yeah. Armour Cheerleader. If you're not listening to this in June and you just want to watch a movie, yeah. highly recommend for Armour Cheerleader. It's very charming. I'm glad you thought so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I... I, I, uh... I totally see why you loved it when I watched it. Good. <laughs> it made perfect sense to me why you enjoyed it. Also, am, am I allowed to briefly <laughs> Oh, go, please. Am I allowed to briefly mention uh, RuPaul's approximation of what a straight man... I'm trying to work out whether I think RuPaul's performance is, like, a bit ropey or actually genius. Because it is somehow both. Because it's, I think it's, like, again... There's like, layers to it. Yeah. But also, is that just RuPaul's just shonky RuPaul acting? Or is that actually just, in itself, part of the performance? I mean, it's, the character is also, in a way, acting. Yes. Because the character is still very gay yeah uh there's an ex gay yeah straight is great yeah it says on his t-shirt <laughs> yeah i think again all the kind of the adults in this film like all the characters of the adults are really over the top and yes. very campy yeah wild acting choices yeah. whereas the the teens are a bit more grounded human yeah <laughs> just they're not they're not as artificial yeah which is part of it which is part yeah. of the whole the whole aesthetic of it all yeah on that note uh you should watch this film and louis what, what are you going to talk about next time all right so we are staying very much in the world of lgbt but we're going in a very very different place we'll be talking about the 2008 comeback record from progressive death metal legends and two members being from the lgbt community we're talking about the album Traced in Air by Cynic. Excellent. We contain multitudes, people. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> 
You were listening to the Darling Why podcast presented by Louis Tangarides and Kate Stewart. If you liked what you heard, please feel free to give us a follow at Darling Why Podcast on Instagram. Feel free to rate and subscribe on whatever podcast feed you're listening to. This podcast is produced, edited and put together entirely by Louis Tangarides and Kate Stewart. Thanks for listening. See you next time.